Hi, Denise. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Are you ready? It's our third podcast. I am so excited. So I'm just going to kick it off. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Denise J. Powell. I'm a graduate student at the University of San Francisco, studying international and multicultural education with a concentration in racial justice education, but I really focus on storytelling and listening. I am also a spoken word artist who is very introverted and rarely performs. And, you know, I'm just living my life with my sisters, my friends, my little kitty jeeps, and walking in my ancestors' footsteps. My name is Paul David Terry, and I am a co-conspirator with Janice at uh, University of San Francisco. I'm also a curious ginger with interests around health equity, queer communities, and our practices with being a caretaker of stories from the peripheral. Well, let's jump into it. Today, we are here to talk about gender bias and disrupting gender bias with the guidance of our ancestors and relations. We'll be remembering how colonialism had an impact on matriarchies and the duality to oppress across gender. Drawing upon the lessons from our ancestors, we'll also reflect on where we were and where we're going thinking about how we can unsettle our settler colonial mentality around sex, gender, expression, and thinking about how this integrates with our leadership, being in loving self-awareness with our bodies and each other. And this is the skin that you're in. take a moment to reflect on Native American Heritage Month, which is the month of November. As we're recording this, we're just exiting out, but we want to take a moment to reflect on the end of the month and how holidays can perpetuate or erase the truth-telling towards Indigenous people. What the recent holiday is for Indigenous people and those who are not Indigenous, what we tell ourselves and our children and our families at this time of year. Why are we thankful for? Who are we thankful for? Why do we eat? And we also just want to take a moment to um, acknowledge Black lives and celebrate the joys. So although there's no way to really avoid hurt and pain that is experienced racially um, and is continued to be experienced today, we need to uplift Black joy and insist on more moments of trauma-free Blackness to celebrate all Black folks and to heal our hearts, the hearts of others, and our bodies and our souls. And two ways to do that, and two of my favorite ways to do that is to learn about Black creatives and artists. As I mentioned, I'm a spoken word artist, so I love art in general. Um, and another way is to celebrate Black healers and innovators. There are a lot of Black folks out there that are creating, you know, all of these different healing programs and are really changing the way that we look at healing and mental health and they need to be celebrated and acknowledged more.
today's episode, we're starting with so many things. But first off, we mentioned this term, settler colonialism. So, Janice, can you tell us more about what is settler colonialism? Yes. So, there are different ways to look at settler colonialism. But I'm going to start off with talking about, you know, what that looks like for Indigenous people. So in order for settlers to make to make their home way back in history, not even way back because it wasn't actually that long ago, to make their home, they had to destroy and disappear Indigenous peoples that lived there. And those Indigenous peoples that in order for there to be American land, there was also a destruction and disappearance of indigenous peoples that lived on what is now American land. And indigenous peoples are those who have creation stories, not colonization stories about how they came to be in a particular place. That is kind of the idea of settler colonialism for indigenous communities, that disappearance and destruction of indigenous peoples and indigenous culture. It also connects back to oppressive ideas about blackness, which were forged through European colonial violence and spread through science and culture to really help contextualize the current public conversation. And you have to think about the way that systems are built today that are still standing in these ideas of settler colonialism. Paul, what do you think? What are the current ideas that you're seeing around gender and globalization that are connected to settler colonialism? If we look at all of our systems around us, so for example, let's take law as a simple start. If we're looking at law in uh, the Americas, it's built on colonial standards that often oppresses women, queer people, indigenous people. And if you zone in on even things like tribal law, which is based on that colonial foundation to reduce, eliminate, eradicate, erase Indigenous people, you have that, but you're living in a world of bias that is going against you, instructing against you. So you have these foundations that are built on erasure. The systems are working against you before you can even exist. I I agree. And I also think about the patriarchy and how connected that is to colonialism and really putting men at the top of that hierarchy and women at the bottom, which is crazy to think about because when I look at the history of indigenous culture, it is not like that at all. It's so spread out. There's, you know, women tribe leaders, men tribe leaders, and there's all of these different ways to think about, you know, gender and sexuality within the indigenous community. But then I think about when colonialism came and indigenous communities became, began to be destroyed and how that now impacts what gender and sexuality look like today. Yeah, if we're talking about indigenous tribes, um, particularly those in the Americas, matriarchies were 
common celebration of up to five genders or something that happened that there was this fluidity of gender that was happening not the binary like it wasn't a choice of male female but that there was this understanding of and I would say there are parallels to really understanding what terms we use now around transgender people around intersex people around people who hold that duality of, of, of gender fluidity these were things that were very common. Uh, I think about sitting with elders and, and talking about how when uh, colonists came over to the Americas, um, indigenous people asked, where are your women? And colonists were like, they want our women. And indigenous people are like, no, why aren't they sitting at the table as leaders? Where are they to help understand culture and society? being queer, being indigenous, and, and how for centuries the concept of, of queerness was something celebrated in, in many tribes, how some tribes saw queer people as being protectors. I can only imagine as settlers came over that they saw this as a threat to their society and foundations that made it so the people in power could keep others for doing things like providing a task that could potentially put people into servitude and less than positions. Yes, and you you have me thinking about two different things um, with what you just said. And one of them is there is this idea, I think presently that the duality and the mm, the gender fluidity is like a new concept mm. um and i think people are so like shocked by it because in their heads they're like this is new this is different we don't understand it we don't know what this is but from what you're what you just said it's been around for a while it was mm -hmm. already within indigenous communities and looking back we lost that knowledge um, and i wonder how would we look at gender and sexuality if we had that knowledge today if those knowledges weren't destroyed if indigenous people were not disappeared what would the, how would that change and i got really excited thinking about if we incorporate more of this indigenous history and culture how much that would open the doors for gender fluidity and for the destruction of the binary, really. Okay, so if we're going to really talk about, you know, what has happened and the settler mentality coming over and being like, oh my gosh, this is scary, like women are in charge or queer people are okay. It's really led to what we see now is, is that violence, especially towards women, is acceptable or it's just something that is is happening. Thinking about how these concepts of of like it's it's okay to hurt queer people or trans women or you name it, that this is this is what we have in our society today, but this was not the case. And there was more of a, a lens where people saw the humanistic side around gender, that it wasn't about power and subordination, but if we saw it as, like, you know, just being in relation with each other. I love that. 
and I'm so interested. I think you've talked about it a little bit, um, and I know you've mentioned, you know, your own indigenous communities, and I'm definitely, and you've mentioned, you know, your own queerness, and I'm interested to hear more about your own story and what lessons have you learned from the, you know, your identities and the combination of your identities. The more I learn through a lens of indigenous education and queerness and gender, the more I feel connected to my ancestors, my family, and thinking about how I can go forward as just an individual who celebrates beyond that binary, that it's more than just man, woman, or, you know, this patriarchy of who is in charge. I was fortunate enough to know my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my grandmother, who is from a family of so many brothers and sisters in there, who all really focused on, and even with my sister and my mother, that women are really the leaders in, in, in my family uh, among both of my indigenous lineages that women are at the forefront and even queerness, which I am not unique, is not, is, is something that people look at as, as just being something that's not necessarily good or bad. It's just as my texting in Oklahoma relatives would say, it's just different. It's, it just is, but it's not something that we vilify we might explore and we might ask questions of, oh, this is different, what does that mean? But when I think about what came to the Americas was not that perspective. It was, oh, that is different and that difference is a threat to our power. And in order to disrupt that, settlers came over to say, oh, these feminine men or these masculine women, we need to get rid of these because this provides a threat. So let's subvert these class of people so that we can further create power into this land. And what I see through my family is that um, power through matriarchy, even through um, queerness is, is something that continues that legacy and continues to disrupt something that is not natural. Patriarchy, while patriarchy itself is, is a form of leadership, when it gets to be the point of power taking over to the point of oppressing people, that is not how we survive and respect land and people. Mm, I definitely agree. And you're reminding me of a quote by Joan Scott in Gender, a Useful Category of Historical Analysis where Scott says gender is one of the recurrent references by which political power has been conceived, legitimated, and criticized. It refers to, but also establishes the meaning of the male-female opposition. To vindicate political power, the reference must seem sure and fixed outside human construction, part of the natural or divine order. In that way, the binary opposition and the social process of gender relationships both become part of the meaning of power itself. To question or alter any aspect threatens the entire system. You know, I feel like the binary is something we need to hold on to because it's safe, but it's threatening. It's like easy to go one or the other. 
but tell me more about this quote, especially how it relates to you and your ancestors. Yes, I think for me, I, I love this quote because I think so many things are thought of as a binary, but when we talk about gender, we don't often include cultural or societal or family traumas or experiences that contribute to how gender is showcased and what that means to fit into what society is telling you to fit into. Um, I haven't, I didn't mention it earlier, but I'm a Black woman who grew up in a family of all Black women. For me, that means that we didn't really have many males in our life. We didn't grow up with this binary of men do this and women do this because we did everything. And I think in Black culture, a lot of times that happens with Black women. Black women do a lot of everything. They are filling so many roles, not to take away from the roles of Black men, but they are filling so many roles, especially in single parent households. They're the mom, they're the dad, they're making the money, they're cleaning the house, they're doing the um, cooking, they're building the furniture, they're doing all of these things, but society judges them for their ability to do all of these things and places women in this, you're too masculine, you're not womanly enough kind of box. But we don't talk about these things that created that, right? Not that it's wrong, like I am fairly much like, I'll take out my own trash, I'll open my own door, I can do whatever it is that I feel like I wanna do for myself. But I think if we talk about gender, we also have to talk about the things that play into gender roles and how they were created and how we judge people that don't fit into gender roles without acknowledging some of the societal contexts that have contributed. And why are there gender roles in the first place? And how do we break those down is always my question of when do we get to a point where we're not judging gender roles, where we're not saying a man is too feminine and a woman is too masculine. What does it matter? Why can't everyone just be who they are without this binary having to be either or and have that either or fit to your gender or sex or whatever you know it is that we're talking about concept of of you know as you mentioned masculine women or feminine man or that that flow between the two like we're not stuck between one and i feel like like coming back to this concept of flow is that if we're only flowing with one or the other we're just kind of going in one direction we're not like finding this spinning of you have to have this flow going back and forth. And if you're so strong on one, you're just going to wear yourself out. And that's where I see like what we're happening is happening is we wear ourselves out in thinking that we can only be this masculine man or this feminine woman. And, and it leaves no place for us to have this flow of, of all these things. And the expectations that come from that make it really hard so that when people see that feminine man, 
the first thing is is to say this is out of place or this is wrong, which, you know, over the years we've seen that this is how homophobic crimes or femicides are are created, that more and more we see attack on women and attack on queer people because of the assumptions that happen that this is wrong. For us to really break that the, the bias towards the binary and live in a duality, I think it starts with us to look around and, and ask how we identify male or female, masculine or feminine. Why is it that we might look at a man painting his nails as being wrong, but having like, a, let's say a peacock flamingo tattoo on his back is pretty masculine. Like what, I don't get it. Like both are pieces of art and yet, like the nail painting might not be so accepted. Exactly, exactly. And I want to also take a pause and talk about what that does to a person and their mental health. I know we both really talk a lot and care a lot about mental health. And I think we have to stop and we have to pause and we have to talk about how that affects people's mental health to feel like one, they're not accepted, but even that example that you just gave that one, someone can go out and put this colorful flamingo tattoo on their back and be so accepted, but I'm unaccepted because I paint my nails. And what that does to someone's process and thinking and how much people have been hurt and harmed, who and you know murdered because of these things that really like one it doesn't affect other people. It's all about you know that the self and how do we create spaces for people to not only explore their own gender but to, I guess, open the mind and open the conversation for other people that, and I hate to say it, cause I mean, like, I know you can't teach everyone. It's, there's so much that could be improved and so much harm that could be stopped. And I just, Ooh, I'm sorry, I'm getting like, it's a lot to think about. I'm thinking about, you know, all of my friends and my family members been in really bad places mentally because of someone else's hate towards the way they dress or the way they talk or the way they walk or the people they love. And it, it's, it's a lot to process and I love this conversation of how do we disrupt that how do we disrupt that but also how do we bring healing to those who have been affected by it and one thing that I love is what we're doing here creating these conversations to talk about these topics and creating them with a variety of people creating them in spaces that people feel like they are brave enough to share but not only these conversations, um, but I think about uh, counter storytelling and how do we start to create more media and produce more stories that disrupt these societal ideals of how 
men and women should be and should act and should walk in all of these different things. Our perception of what is a societal ideal and what is actually happening here. I think about the, the concept of, of caretaking, uh, the concept of sex work, uh, who actually does it and who, who and the humanity behind it. Uh, for example, like sex work, this has been a practice since forever. Uh, and yet some cultures are like, this is part of culture. This is what happens. Others think about it through exceptionalism, that that's something that happens over there, but it doesn't happen with us. Who actually does the care and who does the care around sex and sexuality? And reflecting on, like, for, for example, the pandemic, um, when the borders um, uh, between Mexico and the U.S. were closed, this cut off the ability for people in the United States who normally go down to the border over there for sex work and comfort to be cut off. And now, which is something that is, is you know, is, it can be or is accepting to extent in, in certain cultures or is part of life, this, this phenomenon of, I can't go over there and get it. What happens now? Where do I put my aggression? Where do I put my sexuality? Where do I put my kinks? And, you know, something that we judge as being, oh, this is a Mexican thing, or this is something that is done in Mexico. No, th this is something that's hidden very well in the United States, or we overlook and pass on the vilification elsewhere. And I think that's where we have to take um, a step back and ask, who are we really vilifying and why? Yeah, when we're accusing others of it, it's really here. And I think this is a concept of colonialism, of settler colonialism that is really stuck with this country is that we haven't really examined where our needs are, where our care is, who is doing it and why. And often this gets put on to um, vilifying women, um, particularly women of color, um, vilifying trans people, vilifying queer people, uh, and then as a way to really stay in power, but also for keeping a space where you, where the ability to um, be satisfied or try to be satisfied around kinks is is okay. It's you know swept under the rug, but hey. Um, if something is happening over there and I don't have to see it and I don't have to experience it, but I can still be in power, then that's okay. And I think we need to start recognizing these. We need to start calling out, why are you behaving this way? I mean, there is an easy answer for that. That is, that is what, what settler colonialism has created. We behave this way because it is an easy way to stay in power, but not really an easy way to take a self-analysis of, of what is right and what needs to be fixed. I love that. I love that. And I agree. Um, and it's, there's so much more to talk about, but I think there was a quote that you shared with me that I think is a great quote to Close off this section. Do you want to do the honor since you found the quote of reading it? 
I am obsessed with Lovecraft Country. I know some of our listeners are as well. And my favorite character is Hippolyta Freeman um, because the way that they they showcase her as this black woman in the 50s, she is a scientist explorer, uh, just can do, as you mentioned, all of these amazing things. But then this episode called I Am is where she she really finally figures out the agency that she has, who she is, the power of her name. And she is transported to um, different places. And one of the first places is to dance alongside Josephine Baker. And I'm gonna read this quote because I think this is just something where if we don't come to terms with what's actually going on in the world, we're just hiding the pain. And she says that, you know, in this awakening, she says, I feel like they just found a smart way to lynch me without me noticing the noose. The pain that we are causing ourselves because we haven't remembered, haven't had our own awakening and, and the pain that we cause others. Hippolyta is then transported to this village, this place of African warriors. And she calls out to say that we are here because we didn't believe them when they told us our rage was not ladylike. She says, when they said our violence goes too far, that the hatred we feel for our enemies is not godlike, they say that to women like us, because they know what happens when we are free, free to hate when we must, free to kill when we must, free to bring destruction when we must. That is our freedom, that is our prayer. No matter what they think of us, when we grind them into dust, that is our love. I love that. I love that last sentence, especially. That is our love. And I just want to end by asking Paul, and I think I'll answer it myself. This tells what their love is. Paul, what is your love? Mm. Just being able to talk about these things, seeing young people and older generations, having conversations around gender and duality, finding space to, to do this. I think I've shared with you uh, that uh, there's a photo in the 1970s of my grandfather and, and my great uncles dressing in drag and being the third generation of a person who is dressed in drag, my father, my grandfather, Cherokees who have donned on uh, wigs and dresses, and that this is just part of who I am and part of my family and part of, of men being able to celebrate that duality. And that is, that is love right there, being able to celebrate across generations duality uh, of gender, of, of having that masculine, that feminine all in one, and, and to watch others being able to have those awakenings beyond the binary, that is love to me. Yes, I love 
that. And I, I always love that story. No one can see me right now, but I'm smiling ear to ear every time I see the picture, every time I hear the story. I think it's just an amazing uh, moment, an amazing story to be able to have and to share. And for me, my love is, I think it's very fierce. I mentioned earlier, I am very protective. Um, and my love is really being able to protect my friends, my family, their hearts and their love. My love comes in that style of the warrior love. I'm the one that's going to fight for you. So my love is a little rough around the edges, but it is very happy. And I think my love is really just being able to have these conversations and learn and hear the stories of so many people and to be able to go back and to spread those stories and share those stories and hopefully to help bring healing and change is really my, my love and the goal for my love. Oh, Jay, that's beautiful. That's why I love these conversations. I do too. And I can't wait until the next one. Me too. But for now, this is the end, but we will be back soon. Well, thanks, Jay. Um, and thanks to everyone that's listening. Appreciate you. And think about how you can live on that duality beyond that gender binary. Yes. Think about what is your love. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.